Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah most gracious most merciful the principles of leadership by Dr Yusuf bin Uthman Al Huzaim part 10 page 137 the characteristics of the minister leader according to al mawardi muslim jurists in general stipulate that those who hold a particular office within a country are required to possess the following attributes justice honesty trust uh, trusteeship and competence justice honesty trusteeship and competence Similarly, Muslim jurists have stipulated specific conditions in a manner that relates to the specifications and competencies pertaining to the nature and function of each individual office. Hence, the conditions placed on one pursuing the ministry are specific to and intended for whoever qualifies to hold that office. These are, one, Islam is the truth. Verily, Allah the Sublime instructed showing obedience to the uh, Walil Amr, legal guardian slash protector in reference to whom the Quran specifies the necessity of being a Muslim. Allah the Sublime says, O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the messenger Muhammad upon uh, him be peace and those of you Muslims who are in authority and if you differ in anything amongst yourselves refer it to Allah and his messenger upon him uh, be peace if you believe in Allah and the last day that is better and more suitable for final determination chapter and Nisa verse uh, chapter in Nisa, chapter 4, verse 59. 2. A mature adult male. This condition stipulates a further two conditions. The first is manhood at the exclusion of womanhood. And secondly, the Quran says about the adult male criteria of the leader. Men are the protectors and maintainers. Men are the protectors and maintainers of women because Allah has one of them excel the other and because they spent to support them from their means. Chapter Nisa 4, verse 34. Al-Mawadi also cites the saying of Al-Mustafa Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, peace and a blessing of Allah be upon him, a nation will not succeed under the rule of a woman al-bukhari he muhammad may peace and a blessing be upon him also said if your men are unrighteous the stingy rich and women run your affairs then the belly of the earth is better for you than the surface of it <coughs> again if your men are unrighteous the stingy rich and woman run your affairs, then the belly of the earth is better for you than the surface of it, i.e. death, narrated by At-Tirmidhi. 
On the topic of mature adult leadership, this predominantly occurs around <coughs> the age of 40, the completion of manhood in a man. As Allah, the sublime says, and we enjoined on man to be dutiful and kind to his parents. His mother bears him with hardship, and she brings him forth with hardship. And the bearing of him and weaning of him is 30 months till when he attains full strength and reaches 40 years, he says, My Lord, grant me the power and ability that I may be grateful for your favor, which you have bestowed upon me and upon my parents, and that I may do righteous good deeds such as please you and make my offspring good or righteous. Truly, I have turned to you in repentance, and truly I am one of the Muslims submitting to your will. Chapter Al-Ahqaf, chapter 46, verse 15. At this age, the age of 40, one enjoys mental maturity and emotional stability at its fullest, and notably it was at this age that Allah inspired his prophets and messengers upon whom be peace. About this, Isfahani says, when a person reaches this age, his being becomes empowered to do that which he is meant to do. After that, he can just uh, about apply himself. <coughs> Three, non-affiliation with a trade. Non-affiliation with a trade. A minister is warned against being affiliated with a trade. <coughs> A minister is warned against being affiliated with the trade and should be devoted to his office. Al-Mawardi supports this statement by drawing on the narration of the Prophet, peace and blessing Allah be upon him, who said, If a Rai, leader, shepherd, patron, deals in a trade, his subjects are ruined. For Al-Adl, justice, Justice is unequivocally the constitution of the ruler. A minister must therefore be fair and honest, and he is required to acquit people from inequity and the inequity of others. A minister must also stand up for truth and justice, which should manifest both inwardly and outwardly. However, if he becomes unjust and tyrannical, then he can no longer assume the role of ruler, no matter what oppressive means he exercise, <clears throat> as he cannot take possession of his subjects except through affection, duplicity, as uh, as he cannot take possession of his subjects uh, through affectation, affectation, duplicity, hypocrisy. Five honesty, trusteeship. To fulfill what is required of him, to collect funds without accumulating them for himself, to not accept gifts that were given to him by virtue of his office or as bribes, to represent an exemplary model of behavior shown towards workers under his command. Six, competence. This denotes organizing work in accordance with sound rules and regulations and issuing the orders of offices. Muslim jurists have further stipulated above the aforementioned condition health and safety standards of the limbs and senses, carriage and bravery, and the active preservation and maintenance 
of the country or state. The leadership principles of Ibn Taktaki, the leadership principle of Ibn Al Taktaki, Muhammad Ibn Ali At Tabtabai, sorry. Muhammad bin Ali At-Tabtabai, more commonly known as Ibn At-Taktaki, Taktaki, a historian from the city of Mosul, was born in the Hijri year 660 and died in 709, having succeeded his father in heading the uh, Alawi councils of Hala uh, and Najaf and Karbala, the first thing that was said to him was indeed the virtuous king leader is he who possesses certain desirable traits while being void of others. Among the traits and qualities that are desirable in a person are reason. This is the most vital and favorable of qualities since it is with this that the country is governed and more precisely more precisely the king this says enough in itself. <clears throat> From it emerges justice which is in the distribution of funds as businesses prosper from it and men are distinguished by it. Knowledge also ensues from it, for knowledge is the fruit of the mind and it is so that the king leader is able to judge between what to accept and reject. It prevents him from making mistakes in judgments and further causes him to be admired in the eyes of the public and private. And know that merely bookish knowledge is not desirable in kings, leaders, at it serves to multiply problematic issues. The desirability for knowledge in a king is such that he does not take a liking to it to, it, to the point of understanding those endowed with knowledge. Amongst these qualities is also having fear in Allah, the sublime. This quality is in fact the root of all good and the key to every blessing. Hence, when a king fears Allah, Allah grants him security, such as forgiveness for one's sins and being spared from error. It is therefore the best of good qualities, as with it, hearts are inclined and intentions are cleansed. As Allah the Sublime says in the Quran, And let not those among you who are blessed with the graces and wealth swear not to give any sort of help to their kinsmen, uh, uh, al-Masakin, the needy, and those who left their homes for Allah's cause, let them pardon and forgive. Do you not love that Allah should forgive you? And Allah is oft forgiving, most merciful. Chapter Nur, chapter 24, verse 22. In this way, it inspires dignity and standing, and so with it the order of the kingdom can be maintained and the aspirations of subjects can be safeguarded. <clears throat> Constancy and fidelity are also resultant of it, as Allah the Sublime says, and come not near the orphan's property except to improve it until uh, when he attains the age of full strength and fulfill every covenant. Verily, the covenant will be questioned about. Uh, Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 34. With regards to recommended qualities that one should be known for, Ibn al-Muqaffa' mentions that the king or leader should not get angry because his capability lags behind his needs. 
he should not lie as people will not be able to commit to him or to that which he desires. He should not be stingy as a few people excuse the fear of poverty. He should not be malicious due to the magnitude of the repercussions carried out by anyone he has abused. He should not swear by events as people hold on to them and if they fail to materialize he will find himself humiliated and moreover he needs the trust of the people. Of the qualities that are desirable in a king leader this includes solitude and restriction as this is better than feeling regretful for there is no benefit in remorse. Uh, Of the qualities that should be void in the king leader are fatigue and boredom for they are the most detrimental uh, to affairs and corruptive of the situation. The principles and qualities of the leader according to uh, Nakor Janabon in, in Kabus Nama. Re- regarding the requisite conditions and specificities pertaining to the leader of the Ummah community or the king, three categories have been identified. First, he bears general characteristics that benefit and reform every king or ruler leader. Secondly, he seeks out what is desirable in a king in terms of the specificities and traits. And thirdly, he complies with the obligatory moral and behavioral prohibitions for a king leader by abstaining from them. The following uh, elucidations of the aforementioned criteria have been adapted from the work of the author. (coughs) 1. General Attributes The king leader is a believer in Allah and his messenger, peace and the blessing will be upon him. If you are leader for a day, then be devout. Iman or faith regulates the nafs, uh, lower self, purifies the body, and determines the power of the ruling authority too. The hands and tongue of the king ruler are chaste and virtuous. Refrain your eyes and hands from that which is prohibited for the Muslims and dress modestly. Three, the ruler leader is guided by the light of reason and consult your reason, thereby shaping your opinions in obedience to it in all matters or in all yes in all matters for he demonstrates the munificent morality virtuous values and superior ideals that the sharia and social philosophies have enforced he speaks honestly and honesty preserves the king's decency and dignity within his country and amongst his followers be truthful in speech uh, be truthful in speech he should also be merciful to his servants and show them kindness be merciful to the servants of Allah the Sublime. 5. The ruler king should show forbearance with decency, justice, generosity, safeguarding, dignity, and honesty. The, the second part, the favorable morals of the king or leader. The author highlights a set of moral qualities and attributes that serves to establish and strengthen the subject. Uh, the author highlights a set of moral qualities and attributes that serve to establish and strengthen subject-leader relations and deepen the bonds of love and loyalty between people and the king. These are, one, the king or leader is generous in spending and giving, as generosity is lovable to the people, while stinginess and miserliness are detrimental to the prestige of the king and diminish his capacity. If you are not open-handed, then all of the creation will become your enemies. 
Two, he ensures justice for the people from himself and his uh, uh, workers. Thus, he is not permitted to, op- to be oppressive, tyrannical, or uh, obstructive, nor does he turn away the people, the oppressed, the needy, and feeble. He does not allow the leaders of his country to pose a secret barrier between him and his subjects as to the distribution of funds to the eligible. Three, he oversees the well-being of his subjects and consoles their pain and grief. And do not be patient over the suffering of Allah's servant. And do not be patient over the suffering of Allah's servant. The moral prohibitions of the king leader. 1. The king must maintain high regard for self-esteem, dignity and respect and stay away from humiliation and debasement. Do not be lowly and do not show your inadequacy to people. Hence, humiliation demotes. Hence, humiliation demotes human importance, it derogates his standing, and it incites subjects to become daring towards him. 2. The king or leader must remain an ideal example of honor, dignity, and moral decency. Exert effort so that you do not become deluded. 3. The king or leader must rule with justice between people and battle against oppression and adversity. Do not be satisfied with injustice. For he should associate with honorable and principled people, disdain debasement, and not pursue anything other than, than good deeds. Beware of demeaning yourself. 5. The king or leader deals with matters rationally, patiently, and carefully. Do not be hasty. 6. The king or leader should be moderate between seriousness and fun. He should save face. He should not allow his subjects to be too free with him, and he should not permit the rebelliousness of his attendants, speak and laugh little. 7. The king or leader refrains from oppressing people. Do not make oppression a way to your heart, for oppression demolishes structures and undermines the fundamental principles of kingdoms and states. Characteristics of the commander-in-chief In the opinions of uh, Qubus, it is not in the opinion of Abus, it is not any man who is fit for military leadership, but for those who have the mental and physical qualities and characteristics. A statement that is further corroborated by Ibn uh, al-Azraq. Regarding the characteristics of the commander-in-chief, he identifies the following. A. Courage, strength of will and drive are among the most important qualities of a leader. If the drums of war beat at the superior commanders, they seize the opportunity, not thinking about defeat or the struggle of death. Thus, a cowardly leader is of no benefit in times of war, given that his display of backwardness shakes the stability and solidarity of his army, weakens its military force, and discourages their determination. A chief commander, therefore, constitutes the highest exemplar to his soldiers in all situations. In turn, his soldiers emulate him, adhere to his guidance, follow in his footsteps, and draw on his sayings and actions. B. Qabus also specifies that the commander must be high-spirited and composed, saying, Be persistent in your endeavor to advance your position and never ever retreat, as withdrawal and recoil on the battlefield splits the army, dissipates their force, 
and executes any uh, hopes of victory. See, he is firm, vigilant, and heedful. Always be vigilant. Vigilance and foresight form the basis of victory. It is also his duty to be a proficient planner and politician and not to be injudicious. If you are triumphant, then do not pursue the defeated too much, for it would be a great mistake to go back as before. As such, war is a game of deceit and victory is not achieved without contemplation and prudence. The enemy might at times appear defeated, while in actuality he is pretending to be defeated in order to pave the way for his opponent to catch up with him, in which event he can ambush him, making the once victorious opponent now defeated. D. The commander is brave, resolute, passionate, and highly determined. Uh, B. A pasha on the day of the battle when you set eye on your enemy's troops, thereby boosting the courage and spirit of the soldiers to give them a sense of victory. Cubs warns against or cabus uh, or cabus warns against exhibiting complacency and weakness before the soldiers, that is to discourage less uh, while he also advises the leader against being lowly, saying and do not be abased. The leader's relationship with his soldiers and his treatment of the enemy. The author of the book Under Analysis advises the commander to deal with his soldiers and his enemies in the following manner. Firstly, the commander should caution his enemy, whether strong or weak, and he should be adequately prepared for their encounter. It is his duty to address the enemy before others and to be seen as being strong and unyielding so as to enhance the power and status of his army after victory. No matter if the opponent is weak or not, do not consider him weak. Foresight and caution within war are fundamental to realizing victory and defeating the, and defeating the enemy, particularly the weak enemy, and be as cautious with the affairs of the weak as you are with the strong. Secondly, it is his duty to be benevolent and humanitarian toward his soldiers be humanitarian towards your soldiers and your subjects it follows that being good towards one's soldiers enhances their capacities and motivates their obedience that is they vie for accumulation of wealth and obtaining positions of leadership such that they mobilize with their leaders to achieve what has not yet been gained in turn it is the duty of the leader to show endearment towards his soldiers and to speak kindly to them. This cannot be achieved through money. If you are not able to enhance your honor, fail not to speak. Thirdly, the leader should place himself on an equal footing with his soldiers by drawing them close to him, sitting with them, being kind and gentle when interacting with them, especially with the heads amongst them, and eating and drinking with them. Do not eat a a morsel of bread nor a drink a sip except in the company of your soldiers. As a result, this pleases the soldiers and reinforces their trust in their chief, causing them to love and respect him, to comply with his orders, and to not feel reluctant within themselves. If you desire that you uh, begrudge, if you desire that you begrudge you over their spirits' lives, then do not begrudge them their bread or food. In actual fact, 
If the soldiers engage in consuming alcohol and wine, it does not give the commander the right to invite them to do so, which takes into account both religious and health considerations and further demonstrates his role as an exemplary ruler since Islam forbids the consumption of alcohol, harming the body and spoiling societal bonds. Fourthly, the commander must be prepared for the enemy, demonstrate his potential before his soldiers, convey the disrepute and ignobility, convey the disrepute and ignobility of enemies by listing their flaws in his address to the army before going into battle as a means of heightening their spirits and determination in order that they might realize victory. Qabs or Qabus says, when you set your eyes on your enemy's troops and you encounter each other face to face, tell your soldiers who they are and what their, and what their roots are. From the, exam- from the examples drawn herein, it is evident that the author is conscious of the significance of personal and psychological warfare, uh, warfare within the political and military uh, spheres. The Leader Principles of Mahmoud uh, Sheet Khattab Major General Mahmoud Sheet Khattab, the exceptional Iraqi military commander, has written on the subject of military leadership from the perspective of Islam. In the foreword written by the eminent Mahmoud uh, or Muhammad Abu Zuhra uh, to his book entitled Bayna Al-Aqida wa between creed and leadership, the following is said about him. Allah the Sublime has conferred upon our friend Major General Khattab the qualities of 1. Sincerity in speech and action. 2. Extensive insight, meticulous perception, and adept thinking such that as a commander he would know his opponent and his opponent's goals to the point that he was able to anticipate war or attacks initiated by the enemy at their precise times prior to any declaration of war from the opponent. He had uh, knowledge of the 1967 attacks by the Jews. And three, true faith in Allah and his messenger and faithful uh, prophet, peace and blessing will be upon him, and therefore followed the path of the uh, uh, pious forebears as, as, as uh, the path of the sal- uh, of the pious uh, as salaf, the pious uh, forebears after the passing away of Prophet uh, peace and the blessing of Allah be upon him. To further complement the qualities in him, he had a disposition of high resoluteness, past experience, and expertise in science and war, or science of war. In the conclusion of his book, Major General Khattab provides a general list of the qualities belonging to a victorious leader, which include a firm doctrine of faith, mutual love between him and his men, mutual trust, a strong and charismatic personality, firm and reasonable management, ethics and capacity and facility to train and develop men, fortune, success and happiness, a firm and sound mentality, practical education in management and warfare, a noble and respectable reputation, sound military knowledge, uh, high personal standards and ideals, vigilance and foresight, strong passion, exceptional courage, expertise in dealing with men, strict and firm discipline, 
to work monotonously and persistently without feeling tiredness or fatigue to meticulously inspect subordinates and management-related issues, rational and sound organization, distinct and original subordination, consultation, enduring patience, responsibility, physical ability, mastery of the principles of war, decisiveness, prompt in making the right choices, and high morality. It is essential that the following four conditions are also present in a leader, an endowed and talented nature, acquired knowledge, practical experience, and a firm aqidah, creed, or doctrine. Khattab additionally stresses that leadership is not a, f- is not a, a fitra, natural disposition, namely the innate, natural facilities, knowledge, and practice needed by aqidah. Instead, he identifies it. Khattab additionally stresses that leadership is not a fitra, natural disposition, namely the innate, natural facilities, knowledge, and practice preceded by aqidah. Instead, he identifies it as an ideal example in which the, the people believe and they sacrifice money and self for it, for its, and they sacrifice money and self for its sakes. He highlights the role and function of aqidah in his statement: "An army is only victorious in defense of a purpose, case, and and whose members believe that their souls deserve to be sacrificed for its cause." The case, as it is termed by modernists, herein alludes to a firm doctrine of faithful general welfare. For instance, for the first Muslims, the case that they fought for was to uphold the word of Allah, and thus they engaged in fighting for the sake of aqidah, creed. As for the case uh, fought for by the allies and axes of World War II, this pertained to the interests of nationalism and patriotism. There is, however, a considerable disproportion between a war fought for aqidah and a war fought for other interests. The former is a just war in contrast to that of the latter. The great historian Ibn Khuldun gives attention to the importance of Aqidah with specific reference to the Arabs about which he states in his famous uh, Muqaddimah introduction, the Arabs are not won over by their king except through religious comportment, guardianship or great influence. This is a well-known fact. However, the enemies of the Arabs and Muslims distort the fact in order to aid their control uh, and exploitation. For they know that a nation without aqidah can never bear the burdens uh, of warfare and in which they are impelled to surrender their pride and glory with humiliation. The leadership principles of Muradi, of Al-Muradi. The Moroccan author Al-Muradi says in his book entitled uh, a reference to management lit- literature. Al-Ishara ila adab al-idara. One, traits of the king. One, traits of the king. A, resoluteness. Considering matters before they emerge. Avoiding pitfalls before they occur. And planning affairs to achieve the best possible results. B, the stance of kings to them can be dis- the stance of kings to them can be ascribed three types of behavior two of which are resolute and the other is ineffective the first of the resolute forms is the consideration of matters before they emerge 
and resolving them before they occur so as to gain from their advantages and prevent their shortcomings. The second resolute type is that pertaining to the evaluation and planning of affairs so that they might be addressed and willingly disposed of. The third ineffective type refers to the incompetent idler who remains uncertain about his affair, is incapable of dealing with them, and is inattentive of his own reform and betterment to the point of leading himself to his own destruction. Two traits of the Sultan and Governor A. Managing internal strife B. Managing war C. Both managements require two policies and bodies D. Both policy and bodies serve to empower the king E. Both policy and body are complementary Policy is power, as Al-Muradi asserts, and is a foremost altruism, as even if it, uh, if it diverges, it continues to complement. It is thus an admirable force, and, and admiration, too, is a force, though it is mainly attributed to people. 3. Traits of the army commander. Here, Al-Muradi goes on to postulate symbolic qualities that he associates with animals in political conduct and behavior as they appear in legendary heritage. He attaches eight qualities to the army commander. A. Lion, pouncing. B. Vulture, seizing. C. Wolf, deceiving. D. Fox, crafty. E. Donkey, patient. F. Boar, aggressive. G. Crow, Prompt H. Crane Protective Al-Muradi likewise attaches qualities to attendant and soldier such as assistive qualities, equity, politics, honesty and obedience, and militant soldiers, equity and chivalry respectively. Four traits of the judge A. Elephant Dignity B. Eagle Superiority C. Pigeon Proximity, uh, D. Ghazal, Passion, E. Mouse, Smart, F. Monkey, Cautious, G. Tiger, perspect- Perceptive, uh, H. Hopo, Worship, I. Parrot, Expression. The leadership principles of Imam Abi uh, Abdullah Al Qali or Al Qali. It has been said by wise people, the Sultan is the shade of Allah in his land and the ruler in the boundaries imposed by his religion to whom Allah has allotted good decorum and has entrusted his authority and rule to the patronage of his creation. He has allocated to him the advocacy of his right to observe his commands and prohibitions and to ensure spousal and adherence to him. He must hold fast to these commands and comply with them himself. Allah empowers him in the land, entrusts him to his creation and servants, extends his hand and sovereignty to him and elevates his station and standing. Hence, it is his obligation to uphold the amana, the trusteeship, be devout to religion, to refine, beautify his course of conduct, to renew his intention and purpose, to outwardly 
persevere towards justice and to make recompense for his intentional mission. It has been said by some wise people, if a king built on the rules of justice, relied on virtue, gave persistent thanks and safeguarded the deeds of the pious, Allah would bestow victory on his uh, partisans, forsake his adversaries, and grant him aid and security over others. Al-Qali or Al-Qali says, Be just thereof and show gratitude for what has been endowed to you, for the Creator has extended his favor to you over his creatures. It is neither from your own power nor your own destiny that Allah favored his right upon you, and indeed a favor renders persistent gratitude from which you are not exempt. It can neither be assumed that this favor extends to encompass the welfare of your soldiers and subjects, nor to your money in upholding your dignity. Therefore, divide your days into four. A day for enhancing your worship, a day for you to recount and give thanks for the blessings of Allah, a day restricted to hearing out stories and grievances, and a day spent to promote the honored and esteemed. Some wise people have said, whosoever makes his kingship a servant of his deen, way of life, religion, Islam, causes every sultan to yield to him. Whosoever makes his deen a servant of his kingship makes him susceptible to the people's greed. It was said by Aburwaz, Abur, uh, it was said by Abruwaz or Abruwaz to be above yourself is to be without yourself to be above yourself is to be without yourself and by Ardashir the happiest kings are those whose subjects are pleased by his justice who have realized prosperity during the days of his rule experienced the best years of that era and revolted against anyone who distributed that rule. In contrast to this, he says people belong to three classes that correspond to three levels of policy. The characteristics of kindness and ihsan, striving to achieve excellence according to the class of specifics and particulars. The characteristics of violence and kindness accorded to the class of generals and intermediates pertaining to economics and excessiveness and the characteristics of rudeness and deviation accorded to generals and arbitraries. He also said that the king himself observed three things, prompting the reward of the good doer for his excellence, postponing the punishment of the insubordinate for his disobedience and enduring the misfortunes and disasters of his era. Thus prompting the reward of the good doer induces consciousness towards obedience. Thus prompting the reward of the good doer induces con- consci- conscience consciences towards obedience, while postponing the punishment of the insubordinate facilitates forgiveness, dismissal, uh, recompense of repentance and regret, and whereby enduring misfortune extends the schools of thought and policy as well as clarifying any obscurities constituting hindrance or affliction. He further stated that there is no benefit in blockading ports 
guiding armies and dispatching horses and ground and territorial reinforcement except with the integral qualities of resoluteness to substantiate the resources and facts of matters, knowledge prohibiting him from impulsiveness when faced with dilemmas except when the opportunity for it arises, courage that is not diminished by the occurrence and uh, magnitude of disasters, honesty he is trusted with fidelity in making threats and promises thereby making answerability of the treasury easy for him. He also said that the king should not possess five qualities. He should not be a liar as the person to whom he makes a promise or a threat will neither be shaken nor uh, scared. Nor should he be miserly because then nobody will ever be sincere and loyal to him and there is no point in having wilaya, trusteeship without sincerity and loyalty nor should he be a coward as if he is then his enemies will obtain the upper hand and his affairs will be discarded nor should he be made of steel nor should he be made of steel or else people will flee from him and nor should he be covetous as people will not respect him and people are of no benefit without their respect he also said that the king's good resembles a vulture surrounded by carcasses, uh, where as his evil represents a carcass surrounded by vultures. Some uh, rhetoricians have said a king does not abandon four things, the beautification of the Dean religion, the satisfaction of trustees, demonstrating resoluteness and accomplishing a greatness, the four things that the king should abstain from are the betrayal of ministers, uh, mismanagement, malicious intention, and the oppression of subjects. The four things the king should not sustain are money that has been accumulated through haram, unlawful means, a state or condition interwoven with sin and iniquity, an opinion uh, digressed from reason, and a king void of justice. Al-Hariri said, the happiest person is he whose subjects are happy with him and who protects them from being brutalized within their homes. In the words of Al-Tha'alibi in his Al-Mubahij, Exhilaration, a king entrusts his close associates and friends with his Salat prescribed prayers, contends with the blowing of the wind for his uh, bequest, knights his horsemen for the moment, and draws strength from the lions. A king rectifies his affairs in order that his speech is uh, restrained, his hand is upright, and his plan vision is clear. A king consults the correct opinion in its full scope and establishes strong pillars among his manpower and wealth a king is he whose sword is obliterating and glide is impressive a king is he whose sword is obliterating and glide is impressive whose generosity pours like the rain and fortitude invokes the rain a king's justice provides surety to supporters and he determines his favor abundantly he is appraised by his own little finger and toe a king not only submits to Islam, 
distinguishes truth from false, disregards sectarianism or practices justice. He combines honorable association with attainment, orders favor and fairness, borrows only when he has exceeded and he does not seek praise and glory. A king is concerned with appeasing hearts and sparing blood having tapped on the door of heaven to preserve the door of grace. If the king's hand were the key to sustenance and his sword brought death to the uh, disunited, then kings would transcend horizons. A king is like the rain that gives life when it overflows, streams that flood when overloaded, a full moon that guides when it appears, and fate that deals a fatal blow when it hits. A king's favor is witnessed by his observers. His delegation pursues his interest and his palm is the sky. Wealth and blood are literature to the cunning king. Wealth and blood are literature to the cunning king in building honor and acquiring exploits. He obtains knowledge, exhibits generosity, cares for his, cares for his subjects, and protects uh, his or their interest. A king's resoluteness is energetic towards those endowed with the sword. A king's resoluteness is energetic towards those endowed with the sword and not towards the ladies of the house and in the interest of soldiers and not of uh, buxom girls and with the knighty conversation of spearmen and not the erection of buildings. Books written in praise of princes express that a prince is stationed at the climax of esteem and glory, independent of the defects of his kingdom, and carries out headship through kindness without weakness and strictness without violence. Others have stated that they, the princes, embody the different dimensions of crudity and habitual tenderness and their views resemble the glistening of the sword adored with benefaction. In describing kings, it is said that a king revives the years of justice and eradicates the years of tyranny. Thus, he inviolably defends the dean religion and he has many traits and qualities. Leadership principles according to Ibn al-Azraq, the policy of minister. Three, prince, three policies with respect to what Ibn al-Azraq stipulates are cited. A policy for himself, his sultan, and the rulers of his state. The first policy for himself, he gets up in order to bear what lies ahead of him. It is said whoever cannot discipline himself cannot discipline the masses. Uh, proponents of this view base their claim on scientific belief and a process of resolute, uh, resolutions. This constitutes the first component, scientific beliefs. This is collectively the first belief to act in pursuit of justice and equity, maintaining the secrets of hearts and following sincere love to triumph therein. In relation to tyranny and oppression, he does not engage in them except with manifest hypocrisy, which is secretly known by whoever carries it out and which domineers what drives him both inwardly and outwardly. I commend that this 
which precedes the policy for the uh, Sultan serves to identify the minister as constituting a branch and member of that of the Sultan. The second relief since a grace the second belief since a grateful servant's a gratitude of a blessing is a blessing on him to deny that blessing by renouncing it exposes its cessation likewise by showing his appreciation in giving thanks he grasps the meaning of it in that regard the third belief the goodness of affairs considers the significant benefits of guardianship and their personal repercussions these are the containment of security providing general satisfaction and loyal obligation and promoting ihsan excellence which as a result uh, generate better days occasion dhikr remembrance of allah and capture the heart on the contrary this is not the case if one avoids doing so or departs from it the fourth belief uh, preferring rest when necessary as opposed to acting in a state of fatigue uh, this is vital to achieving welfare with the passage of time otherwise tiredness only continues to build up and by no means is this beneficial the fifth uh, belief maintaining whoever is troubled by the abandonment of blessings undertaking undertaking the role of attending to or defending their preservation to attain peace and accumulate good deeds for the day of reckoning the second component a process of resolutions this is collectively the first resolution having taqwa fear and love in allah the sublime to recognize his knowledge of all things by accepting his supreme authority and trusting in him is in due fulfillment of his rights whereby he exerts every effort towards achieving this and adopts faithfulness and loyalty to him the second resolution prompting the completion of temporary work tasks and current jobs on his guard against potential delays and risky uh, setbacks as delayed time has its own specific tasks allocated to it it is said the very least that is obtained from the congestion of work is the incidence of deficiencies therein the third resolution uh, being wary of omitting something he has ordained and being uh, predisposed to the praises of people upon doing a job well which might cause one to contemplate exceeding limits that he has not crossed before trusting in the praises of people aside from the intrinsic disadvantages and impurities is a digression uh, from more appropriate matters and more credible information the fourth resolution adopting the delegation of work tasks by means of efficiency and trusteeship in effect this could be considered as being far from giving attention to them efficiency and trust trusteeship which is the reason why he must ensure that he is neither neglectful neglectful nor deceptive by falling subject to his whims and desires or love or deficiency the fifth resolution to deem himself above the commonness directly attributable to most of the public whose insolence would otherwise lower him however in so much as he does not go too far to the point of being harsh or rude thus he must rise up thus he must rise above those things that are harmful to him and not be intimidated by threats for allah has decreed the fate of everything the second policy of policy of authority this pertains to the ethics and manners that enhance his rank and position and the fear in allah and uh, prudence he displays in dealing with 
and exercising his authority, which can be divided into two types. The first type, the moral court. Uh, the first moral, having righteous and sincere intentions in all aspects of life. Plato said, good actions give strength to ourselves and inspire good actions in others. He also said speech adapts the intention of the speaker to the intention of the listener, though if the listener disagrees with it, then the situation fails to be improved as the speaker had intended, and it will instead resemble a king who has been imprisoned. I quote the saying of Sheikh uh, Tajuddin uh, ibn Allah, All speech highlights the composition of the heart from which it emerges and in which it resides. The second moral, desistance from exercising authority that is harmful to people. On the contrary, it ought to be conducted in a human manner that draws on kindness in a way that is beneficial, thereby demonstrating his ideal or love for Ihsan excellence and his dislike of anything harmful. I add that relying on this moral ensures that one's manner of conduct is channeled by it and guided towards success. The third moral, to refrain from resigning from authority upon feeling that it is of no use to him. According to a Platonist, a minister should yield to the benefit of the king and to not forget his place having been entrusted greater authority. In the Greek times, if someone sought counsel in you, whereupon you were unable to impart words of advice without troubling or making it difficult for him, you would then be obliged to demonstrate what you meant by relieving him of his need and giving him more than he had sought for in the beginning. In the beginning, the fourth moral, to notify his authority, Sultan, upon executing any changes so that he is not in violation of upholding the Sharia law, or reviving the Prophet's Sunnah so as to suppress and curb innovation as he would be held liable for taking the initiative. Hence, it is crucial that he makes any changes in the view of the people and that he is also seen as according more importance as according more importance to the Sultan over himself. It is mentioned in the Greek scriptures, Indeed, you are driven towards he who enhances your status, betters your impact on others, and makes your affairs more pleasant. The fifth moral, exerting his effort to request the excusal of the Sultan in matters in which the Sultan has declared his error, while being cautious to not uh, declare his concurrence. In the view of Platonists, if a leader recalls a mistake and acknowledges it as his own, then, <coughs> then defer excusing him of it. Be wary of provoking his anger, and do not admit liability with him. To illustrate this uh, later example further, if someone wanted to appease the king's anger uh, concerning someone, then he would approach the king with that person and subsequently belittle him before the king, while also making him acknowledge the king's eminence. This way he has done this without the king uh, summoning him in an obvious attempt to beseech the king's comfort and ease. If one were to draw an analogy of the situation, it would be of a, a glass-making machine in which glass is transferred to, to a hot surface after being removed from the fire in case it gets damaged by the cold air. <coughs> Again, 
if one were to draw an analogy of this situation, it would be of a glass making machine in which glass is transferred to a hot surface after being removed uh, from the fire in case it gets damaged by the cold air. The sixth moral, humbling himself to express his gratitude to the Sultan and acknowledging his kindness, which empowers his position and helps him attain uh, favorable and commendable results. As it states in the Greek text, if you did a good deed to someone, he would urge you to then extend his thanks to the king in such a manner to declare that you strove more for his sake than you did for yourself. The seventh moral, shaping his conduct in keeping with the indispensable majestic virtues of patience and justice and whatever goes along with these even towards the sultan. According to Platonist, a minister is required to not dispute the moral quality of the king except for his patience in pursuit of matters and the justice he practices therein, ensuring that every aspect receives its due uh, it's due. This specifically applies to him. To a king belongs both excessiveness and, if, and deficiency in the extent of his inclinations, his love, and his intolerance. To a king belongs both excessiveness and deficiency in the extent of his inclinations, his love, and his intolerance. The eighth moral, to pay attention to the conditions of the sultan secretly, openly, as well as in his absence and when in his presence such that none of his affairs remain hidden from him and to neither uh, to neither to be absent from him whether a little or a lot al tartashi said a minister neither knows what is for him nor what is against him to the point that even a person he regards as a trusted confidante might jealously accuse him over his lover. Hence, what is obtained of knowledge is not concealed from understanding. Hence, what is obtained from knowledge is not concealed from understanding. The ninth moral, knowing the character of his sultan so that he can behave in a plan in accordance with it, such as with regards to his liberality, avarice, governing force, weakness, lack of constraint, mistrust, good company and depression. Thus, liberality and generosity generate much thankfulness. The power to govern and control calls for the pursuit of participation, which also serves to authorize participation. Weak management demands compensation and reliable measures to be taken in order to rectify it. Good opinion enables him to judge matters, which is followed by the greatest amount of benefit. Ill opinion or suspicion preoccupies him with seeking redress concerning dedication given to his management. Glad tidings boost the activity of his advisor and capture the hearts of the disengaged on his arrival. Severe depression causes him to become lethargic in the pursuit of his affairs and hinders his chest uh, from feeling harmony and ease. The text, which narrates 16 pairs of morals and uh, state, we believe that during the creation of them all morals, and their opposites, moderation was created, which exists in the mind and is not manifest in the good qualities, but was instead intended for when these morals are overcome. It also says management and planning serves to improve. Uh, it also says management and planning serve to improve your credence and command. 
<coughs> management and planning serve to improve your credence and command and your obedience and authority. Advantage. Knowing that the morals and ethics of the Sultan fall into two categories, the immediate and explicit, and those that prevail in him. Uh, knowing Advantage, knowing that the morals and ethics of the Sultan fall into two categories, the immediate and explicit, and those that prevail in him. Uh, Platonist assert, know that the morals and ethics of the king prevail over those of his fellows and have some bearing on the characters of those closest to him. Therefore, entrust yourself to fulfill this. The tenth moral, this constitutes the foremost moral and an essential prerequisite to all other morals and ethics. Having taqwa, consciousness, and piety in Allah, the sublime, and your obedience to him, this draws on two points. One, one cannot be obedient to the sultan in disobeying Allah, the sublime. This is validated from a legal perspective and appears in the preaching of Al-Hassan to Ibn Habira, who had asked him about a message he had received from his sultan, which involved committing some offense and whether he had the capacity to obey him. He said, indeed, Allah has the most right to be obeyed, and so one cannot obey someone else if it means disobeying Allah. Following this, the leader of the faithful examined the message in line with the book of Allah, and whatever he found there to be compatibilities, he approved them, and whatever he found there to be contradictions, he discarded them. Then he said, O Ibn Habira, have taqwa in Allah, for he almost dispatched a messenger of the Lord of the world to seize you from your bed and remove you from the comfort of your palace to the confinement of your grave. Therefore put your sultan and dunya worldly life behind you and proceed towards your Lord. Whereupon he recalled the Qawwam uh, al-Mujrimin, nation of the wrongdoers, so as to uh, culminate what he meant. Two, by assessing his preference to obedience, which is demonstrated by his promptness to inflict due penalty. The Caliph Muqtadir Allah, one who has been entrusted with upholding the law of Allah, remarked to his minister, Ali bin Isa, Have taqwa in Allah, who favored me over you, and fail not to obey him, for he has put me in charge of you. Al-Mamun said to some of his ministers, Be cautious of disobeying Allah while drawing close to me, as he has given me power over you. The first point illustrates the <coughs> the first point illustrates whether being insubordinate regarding obedience is inadmissible, which is further evidenced by the hadith, whoever assists an oppressor is overpowered by him. The second type fearing Allah. The first safeguard carrying out what he has been commissioned to do without disclosing important matters. According to Plotinus, if a king appoints you to the ministry, you do not accept his delegation as this is considered a grave ordeal to a minister. Uh, the text further elaborates that delegation gives rise to much suspicion and assumption. It states if it is conferred upon you authoritatively, you are then legally bound to the governor in such a manner as if he were to personally commemorate everything you accomplished in a collection of poems and give them to the king to read collectively. The second safeguard, not being reserved in your speech when addressing the sultan as if to overestimate his concern and the needs of others. In the text it says, be reserved in your speech 
when addressing him be careful of saying beyond what you were summoned for speak well of him to the people avoid talking in a hostile way to anyone and avoid representing your equal for it might be that he cautious it might that he cautions you as well as the person you mentioned to him the third safeguard exceeding one's authority to the detriment of the king's welfare whether that be a little or a lot in the text it states know that it is shame and weakness for the king to be better than you in demonstrating patience within life in abandoning the comforts of this world in showing severe vigilance and in contemplating deeply about the welfare of the kingdom though if he pardons you for this and keeps his advancement over you discreet he will undermine you and believe that he has no benefit in you therefore work hard to show that you are ahead of him and that he cannot surpass you in these things the fourth safeguard is exposing his virtue excels the virtues of his followers platonus would say if a king were to provide work do not demonstrate that your virtue excels the virtues of people of the same status as this will not improve your position for he will realize that your motive exceeds your competence this point can be illustrated in another sense a person who speaks in uh, a person who speaks in a forward manner and is well expressed should not inform people of what he hears as their feeling envious of his good qualities will cause them to cause him uh, of lying abandon their sincerity for the sharia law and instead burden themselves with competing with his speculation the fifth safeguard your response to participating with the sultan in matters of management and politics that happened to perplex him such that if you were in, in such that if you were in state instated over the king's affairs you do not take pleasure in it or take it for granted especially when fulfilling his wishes similarly if he invites you to enjoin him you should inform him that you do not seek to pass your time with entertainment with entertainment for fear of depriving the kingdom of intellectual valor the sixth safeguard condemning and prohibiting vice and degeneracy upon witnessing it from the king this means not condemning the vice of any king and prohibiting him from it as orders and prohibitions belong to both the king and you however it is better that you remind him of the virtues that his vice has deviated from and better him if he adheres to this then he will abandon that vice that was within in him so if he is miserly then better him so if he is miserly miserly then better him by collecting large quantities of items and distributing them rightfully therein denouncing his infringement and abuse <coughs> by making him aware of this he will realize the ugliness inherent in miserliness and therefore abstain from it the seventh safeguard showing retort in the sultan's council only after being granted permission if someone speaks against him in the presence of the king uh, then do not respond without being given the permission to do so reminding him before all those present that you do not speak out in his majesty's council while showing humility and smiling at him hence dispute the accusation made against you once you have composed yourself the eighth safeguard displaying outrage in the presence of the sultan do not make a display of anger before the king as although as although fervor stimulates victory this will not be for anyone in the council other than him provoking the anger of anger of the king 
will give rise to argumentation and will further taint matters between you and him. The ninth safeguard, appeasing the antagonism of an enemy under the pretext that it is for the welfare of the king, the most severe thing that one can do to the leader is to reconcile his affairs with the enemy, deluding him to believe that it is in his interest. In doing so, you occupy the position of a dog who strays to whoever can benefit him. Therefore, take caution not to do this and do not exhibit your hate or love for anyone. Instead, ensure your anger or satisfaction is received deservedly within his kingdom. The tenth safeguard showing reluctance to do what the Sultan has decreed. According to the text, you do not occupy a position from the king without first demonstrating that reluctance is not in your nature, that you do not resort to it for anything, or that you do not stoop to trickery and deception when being consulted about it. The eleventh safeguard, accepting the Sultan's approval after being reprimanded once he has been corrected. In the text, if you have been reprimanded on suspicion of breaching the conditions of your, your affair, then you do not accept approval until you have proven yourself or once it has been seen that you are not influenced by life until you are acquitted of suspicion. The twelfth safeguard, having a high tendency to refuse the sultan in requesting things. In the view of Platonus, a minister is to be cautious of setting out to deny the king his things and of being a mediator between him and others, whether that person is the king's mother or whoever the king might zealously seek confirmation from about the minister's refusal. The thirteenth safeguard, his happiness with what the sultan designates with regards to his clothing, his mount, and his adornments. In the text, it states, be wary of wearing a garment, riding a carriage, and using what he adorns you with. The fourteenth safeguard, exceeding your function to one's detriment with the sultan, exceeding your function to one's detriment with the sultan. In the text, it says, be careful of the ruins of taking liberty with someone as they constitute the greatest enemies to your eminence and the integrity of your affairs. Additionally, according to Platonus, evil resides in ornamentation and embellishment. Uh, at Tartashi said, if a minister was made equal to a king in appearance and nature, the king would wrestle him to the ground. If he did not do then if he did not do that, then he, the minister, would certainly know that he was insane. The 15th safeguard, matching himself to the Sultan in adornment. The 16th safeguard, raising objections to the expansion of the situation at the Sultan's request. Platonists state the greatest burden kings experience from their workers ensues from the evasion of money and the loss of villages and machinery. The 17th safeguard, being ex ex excessive in accruing offspring and followers. The text state abstain from observing yourself uh, in accruing more sons and attendants since the envious uh, person watches them and you compel him to observe your blessings. They are a source of consumption for you and vice versa, thereby causing the economics of your affairs to fluctuate your stability and security. Your lowest levels of inadvertency, your lowest levels of inadvertency to be lowered and your heart and limbs to become complacent. It was said by the author of the Greek text, exert your last effort to engage in assessing the state of the kingdom while contemplating the diameter of each part of it.
determining what is extra lacking or needs to be suspended and planning in its interest. This in turn sustains its honor and uh, enhance its influence. The 18th safeguard, begrudging what he does not have. The text state, if you were the best advisor to the king from amongst his ministers, though he happened to treat you all the same, do not allow this to distress you as you take from him what he has enjoined on you from your intelligence and reason while showing them whatever display of emotions he fancies. The 19th safeguard, distributing the sultan's intentions of those pertaining to any of his followers in order to change the situation without reason. Distributing the sultan's intentions or those pertaining to any of his followers in order to change the situation without reason. Platonists maintain, if you mean for the king to follow you or something of your affairs, then seeking justification for it is worse than proving your disobedience to him. He is not vulnerable to the words of his followers. Just take a look at your country rather than something else through the eyes of the king and you will perceive the perversity in it. The 20th safeguard requesting to enhance his dignity. Uh, Platonists assert display more modesty and humility to the king over those things he has given to you on account of your nobleness as if you seek exemption from it he will know not to grant it to you and you would have also offended him uh, rather the outcome of his gesture commends you alhamdulillah praise be to allah